Welcome to Madison Labor Radio. Labor Radio is dedicated to bringing news, information, and cultural events focused on working people and the labor movement to the Madison area and surrounding communities. I'm Bert Zipperer, a member of Madison Teachers Incorporated Retirees. Your support in any amount helps make Labor Radio and all the great programming on WORT possible. Thank you. Hi, I'm Ann Habel, a retired member of AFSME 171. This week, we prepare to honor fallen workers on Workers' Memorial Day. We get the inside scoop on May Day events. We get a review of the latest on Wisconsin's voting maps, celebrate National Nurses Week, and more. If you like what you hear, please consider becoming a sustaining supporter of WORT and Labor Radio. First, some breaking news of a union victory. The National Labor Relations Board has ruled today in favor of the Game Workers Alliance, a union demanding an election for quality assurance testers at Raven Software in Middleton, a division of Activism of San Francisco. Today, the Region 19 director determined that the Activism Bargaining Unit with the quality assurance testers that the union proposed is appropriate. An election will take place starting April 29th. All ballots must be received at the NLRB offices by May 20th, with a vote count to take place on May 23rd. Again, the NLRB ruled today in favor of the union at Raven Software in Middleton, and a union election will take place. Now to our scheduled stories. April 28th is designated as Workers' Memorial Day. The day has been set aside to recognize and remember workers killed, disabled, injured, or made unwell through their job. South Central Federation of Labor President Kevin Gunlock spoke with Labor Radio reporter Ellen LaLuzerne about the importance of this commemoration day. Tell me about Workers' Memorial Day. What is it about and how did it get started? It's called Workers' Memorial Day in this country. It's also called International Workers' Memorial Day. In Canada, they call it the National Day of Mourning. It started in 1989 here in this country. The AFL-CIO declared April 28th Workers' Memorial Day. It was to honor the hundreds and thousands of workers that never made it home and were killed or injured on the job every year. April 28th is kind of the anniversary date because that's when the Occupational Safety and Health Act of 1970 went in into effect. OSHA, the administration came in a year later on April 28th. Really it is about honoring our fallen sisters and brothers from all workplaces, union, non-union, and then also fighting for the living. And as Mother Jones would say, fighting like hell for the living. What did the numbers look like this year? And do you know how it compares with other years? When I first was involved doing this over 10 years ago, it was right after Act 10. And we saw year after year for about eight years, the numbers rising surpassing over 100 deaths in Wisconsin per year. Last year was down a little bit, but this year, the numbers that we've received so far is half that, under 50 from OSHA. And I think the reason for that, frankly, the numbers went up 
after in Wisconsin significantly due to, I believe, workers' rights being taken away in the state of Wisconsin. There's other factors too, but that was the one thing that had changed in Wisconsin. And when we bargain and we sit on our worker safety committee, when that was taken away throughout the state from public sector workers, that really impacted, I believe, worker safety on the job, but also in regards to public safety too. It also shows that it took years for workers to fight for their rights and workers are standing up and fighting for their rights a lot more, including the non-union workers who are saying it's time to get in a union. How has COVID impacted these numbers? Do the deaths due to COVID get counted in the final total? I did ask that question to the OSHA representative, and they did say that they believe that has impacted the fatalities. When they look at injury rates or people that are getting sick, they did say that COVID did impact those numbers. So there were many more people that were considered to not be able to report to work because of illnesses um, due to COVID. Tell me about the event on Thursday and what people can expect. We have a Workers' Memorial Day, April 28th at 11 a.m. here at the Madison Labor Temple on Park Street on the grounds. If it's raining, it'll be inside. If you drive by, you'll see a number of grave markers in the lawn that represents the workers who never made it home, who died due to workplace issues, conditions, or things like that. That'll be a press conference and a commemoration. So there will be speakers from various workplaces. Some of those workers are fighting to be in unions. And we'll have a representative hopefully talking about workplace conditions with non-union workers who are some of the most exploited workers in our community and that represent a lot of our immigrant workers and people in the agricultural field. So this is a day to observe our fallen sisters and brothers and then fight like hell for the living. Thank you very much. That was Kevin Gunlock, president of the South Central Federation of Labor, AFL-CIO. This is Ellen LaLazern for Labor Radio. Jacob Malinowski, communications director for the Fair Elections Project, talks to us about the Wisconsin Supreme Court's latest decision on legislative maps. Jacob Malinowski, communications director for the Fair Elections Project, talks to us about the Wisconsin Supreme Court's latest decision on the legislative maps. Last week, Friday, at the last possible second, right as nomination signatures were being chosen, we were issued a state Supreme Court decision at 4.50 p.m. stating that the state Supreme Court justices felt like they did not have enough time to go over the decision in the VRA claims they made initially back in March and chose the legislature's extremely partisan gerrymandered maps, SB 621, that they drew back in the fall. So those are the maps we are most likely to have for this 2022 election cycle and mark an extreme pivot to the right. What else could the court have decided? Back in March, the legislature made an appeal to the U.S. Supreme Court, specifically around the Voting Rights Act claims. The Supreme Court came back and said, we need you to show your work. How did you come to the decision you made in March to choose Governor Evers' maps? So they did not say Governor Evers' maps were bad. They did not say they had to get thrown out. They simply said, show your work. So there were a wide array of possibilities that this state Supreme Court could have chosen. They could have shown their work and kept Governor Ruiz's maps. They could have chosen any of the other maps from the initial litigation. But they chose to side with their allies in the Republican legislature and choose the most gerrymandered maps, the worst possible option. What are some examples of consequences of choosing these gerrymandered maps? One of the biggest consequences is instead of going from seven Black opportunity districts, which is what the Governor Evers' map had, 
And instead of keeping the six we currently have in Wisconsin, this legislature drew a map that only has five black opportunity districts. So we can debate this VRA claim back and forth, but it is absolutely blasphemous to think that we would decrease the number of black opportunity districts in and around Milwaukee. That's going to be a major consequence to the folks here in Milwaukee County, as well as districts all across the map that have been cracked and packed, specifically so Republican candidates can win time and time again, regardless of what the statewide vote totals look like. What can we do going forward? It's incredibly important that folks stay engaged. The November elections uh, are going to be a testament to how folks, how much they care about this issue. Uh, But the real kicker is in 2023, there will be a state Supreme Court seat up for re-election. That could decide the balance of the court, and that could decide a lot of uh, chances for litigation going forwards. So that April 2023 election is what folks should keep in mind over the next year and make sure they vote for candidates who align with their values when it comes to fair redistricting. Are these maps going to be challenged in court? It is unlikely that any sort of challenge will go through for this election cycle. There was a U.S. Supreme Court decision a few years back that says federal courts can't intervene as it gets too close to election timelines. If there is any sort of challenge from any of the litigants in the case, it's unlikely the federal court will act before the November elections. Just to clarify, this affects the state legislative and Senate districts, but not the state congressional districts, correct? Back in March, Justice Hagedorn sided with uh, the liberal majority on the state Supreme Court and chose Governor Evers' maps, both congressional maps and his state legislative maps. The U.S. Supreme Court only sent back the state legislative maps. So we still have Governor Evers' least changes congressional maps that we uh, had back in early March. I'd just like to tell all your listeners, thank you for all of the work you have been doing and are doing to make sure Fair Map stays at the top of everyone's minds. That was Jacob Malinowski. This is Janine Ramsey reporting for Labor Radio. About 450 workers represented by Office and Professional International Union Local 39 at CUNA Mutual want the community to know that they are facing a hard bargaining against the company. Here's Alan LaLuzerne with the story from Joe Avica, Chief Steward at CUNA Mutual for Local 39. You're running into some pretty hard bargaining right now with CUNA. Do you want to explain what's been happening? Over the last several years, we've been operating under an existing contract that has allowed the company to outsource our work. We're currently in the bargaining process. Even though our company made record profits last year, more than $600 million in net income that they brought in, their current proposals are to eliminate our most quality affordable health care, to freeze the pension for new hires, wages that don't keep up with the high levels of inflation that we have. And just overall, it's not a a contract that represents the kind of value that we bring to the company. How does your membership morale look like? Our members have really stepped up during this bargaining session in order to make our voices heard. 
just before voting to support an informational picket, we also organized a letter to our CEO explaining that we really deserve a contract that reflects the record profits that we're making at our company. We had more than 300 members sign on to that, more than 70% of our entire bargaining unit. Why should working people pay attention to what's happening in your workplace? Within the Madison community, CUNA Mutual Group is a fairly large employer and has been for decades, provided good living wage jobs and good benefits for people in our community for a long time. Unfortunately, the practice of outsourcing and contracting of work has really minimized the additional benefits that it provides our community at large. And so one of our main aims is to just make sure that CUNA Mutual continues to be a good employer within the Madison community. It doesn't just affect the people who work here. It affects our families. It affects the businesses that we end up supporting with our money. And overall, an injury to one is an injury to all. When our benefits are at risk, other employers see that and they try to do those things as well. So anytime we can support one another as working people in the Madison area, I think it ends up benefiting the entire city. What kind of plans does your local have to support your bargain? We've done a number of things internally in order to help our employer hear what our concerns are. And so far, those haven't been fully successful. And so our members decided in a recent town hall meeting to organize an informational picket in front of our employer's office, 5810 Mineral Point Road. And we're going to be picketing on May 1st, International Workers' Day, at 10 a.m. We're inviting anyone who is interested in supporting the labor movement in Madison and supporting workers in our community. We encourage you to come and show support. Thank you. That was Joe Ivica, Chief Steward at CUNA Mutual Group with OPEIU Local 39. And for more information about the locals' activities, you can check out their Facebook page at CUNA Mutual Group United or check Twitter at CMG United. I'm Labor Radio reporter Ellen Lalazern. Now for word on more actions on and around May Day as a national call for immigrants' rights hits big in Wisconsin. Greg Gabowski reports. May 1st, International Workers' Day, will be a hotbed for actions in Madison and across the state. It is part of a National Day of Action organized through the pro-immigrant network, the Fair Immigration Reform Movement, or FIRM. In Wisconsin, actions will be spearheaded by the Milwaukee-based immigrants' rights organization, Voces de la Frontera, which as in previous years is organizing a day without Latinx and immigrants, this year covering two days, Sunday, May 1st, and Monday, May 2nd. Here is Christine Newman-Ortiz, the executive director of VOSIS, speaking at a press conference late yesterday morning from Milwaukee. Newman-Ortiz describes the purpose and scope of the nationally organized Day of Action. This National Day of Action is being organized by the country's largest pro-immigrant rights network, the Fair Immigration Reform Movement. To date, there are 39 cities and 17 states that are organizing actions uh, with these collective demands to ensure that Biden and Congress do everything they can to end detention and deportation and the collaboration between police and ICE, expand TPS protections, and make politically possible a pathway for permanent protections for the 11 million currently undocumented immigrant essential workers and their families in the United States, whether that be through legislative action in Congress or by the president using his executive power. 
Yesterday evening, organizers met at the Labor Temple in Madison to plan a march in Milwaukee on Sunday, May 1st, and a lobbying day and student walkout in Madison on Monday, May 2nd. These actions have been endorsed by the South Central Federation of Labor and other AFL-CIO affiliates. Labor Radio spoke there to Mario Ramirez, statewide organizer for Essential Workers for Voces de la Frontera, who described the May Day march in Milwaukee. May Day is a day of actions. We want to do a march from Voces de la Frontera in Milwaukee and 8th Street in Mitchell to the office of Ron Johnson. Last year, if Ron Johnson voted in favor for a immigration reform, we already have the solution, but he didn't. Ramirez says this fight is for all workers. When people take advantage from other workers, all the workers going to be treated in the same way. So it's important to get in solidarity with all the workers. Students are organizing for the day without Latinx immigrants. Brian Carrera Garcia, a student at East High School in Madison, and co-facilitator of Raza United at East High, describes what students are organizing in Madison for Monday morning, May 2nd. On May 2nd, we will have a walkout at East High School from 9 a.m. to 11 a.m. Multiple schools are taking part of this as well, so we are not alone in this fight. We are all in this together, and we want our words to be heard. Fabi Maldonado, political director of Voces de la Frontera Action, the political C4 arm of Voces de la Frontera, describes what will take place on May 2nd at the Capitol. A lot of our members from Madison, Racine, Milwaukee, Waukesha, Green Bay, we're all coming in and we're going to be lobbying our representatives for driver's license and in-state tuition, among other things. We're going to be talking to both Democrats and Republicans to ensure that they are on the same page on what we want and what are some of our needs and to make sure that they hear us every single year. If you want to participate in the May 2nd Lobby Day in Madison, Maldonado explains how. There's about 36 representatives that we're going to be lobbying that day. Anybody who's interested in joining us will be there from 11 a.m. to 5 p.m. Anybody that wants to participate and just show up that day, just look for me. I will be in the rotunda and I will have a list in my hand, so I hopefully won't be hard to spot and I'll try to put you in an appropriate group. I'll give you a quick training on how to tell your story and some lobbying one-on-one and then I can put you into a group, no problem. That was Fabi Maldonado of Voces de la Frontera Action. Again, this year in Wisconsin, the day without Latinx and immigrants will cover two days, a march in Milwaukee on Sunday, May 1st, and a lobbying day in Madison on Monday, May 2nd. Buses between Madison and Milwaukee on Sunday will be available. For more information on both days of action, go to the Voces de la Frontera Facebook page, the page of Voces de la Frontera Madison, or to the Voces website at vdlf.org. For Labor Radio, I'm Greg Jaboski. Over the past month, the General Counsel of the National Labor Relations Board has put forth a series of arguments in favor of banning captive audience meetings. We'll hear a summary of her push to expand freedom of speech for workers. In an April 7th memorandum, General Counsel for the National Labor Relations Board, Jennifer Abruzzo, announced that she will ask the board to find mandatory meetings in which employees are forced to listen to employer speech concerning the exercise of their statutory labor rights, including captive audience meetings, a violation of the National Labor Relations Act. Abruzzo explained in the April 7th memo that the board has long recognized that the National Labor Relations Act protects employees' right to listen to or refrain from listening to employer speech concerning their rights to act collectively to improve their workplace. 
Forcing employees to attend captive audience meetings under threat of discipline, according to Abruzzo, discourages employees from exercising their right to refrain from listening to the speech and is therefore inconsistent with the NLRA. This effort by the general counsel coincides with a similar push to overturn the board's Giselle legal doctrine in favor of the previously applied Joy Silk doctrine, which was outlined by the office of the general counsel in a more recent brief filed last week. While focused on the argument for restoring Joy Silk, the brief also reiterated the general counsel's opposition to captive audience meetings. Contextualizing the decision that made such meetings legal as an inconsistency among previous applications of the NLRA. Quote, this license to coerce is an anomaly in labor law, inconsistent with the act's protection of employees' free choice. It is based on a fundamental misunderstanding of employees' speech rights, said Abruzzo in a public statement alluding to a 1948 decision by the board that paved the way for legal captive audience meetings. The general counsel continued, quote, I believe that the NLRB case precedent, which has tolerated such meetings, is at odds with fundamental labor law principles, our statutory language, and our congressional mandate. Because of this, I plan to urge the board to reconsider such precedent and find mandatory meetings of this sort unlawful, end quote. Reporting for Labor Radio, I'm Sean Hagerup. National Nurses Week begins on Friday, May 6th, National Nurses Day, and continues through Thursday, May 12th, International Nurses Day. The week includes days honoring student nurses and school nurses. Meritor nurses are sponsoring a food cart and a blood drive during the week. An emergency room nurse at Meritor speaks about the week. My name is Enos, and I am a staff nurse in the emergency room at Meritor Hospital. Nurses at Meritor Hospital have a union. What is that union? We are represented by the SEIU union. National Nurses Week starts soon. Can you tell me the dates? The National Nurses Week, by the way, a recognized event since 1998, starts May 6th through May 12th. And that's for all nurses nationally. In the past, how has Meritor Hospital acknowledged National Nurses Week? In the past, Meritor has organized a nurses run for Nurses Week. That's been many years ago. And then they would have little goody things for us here and there. Just, you know, little things to acknowledge us. But that hasn't happened in a couple of years now. So the nurses are concerned that Meritor is not celebrating National Nurses Week as such this year. At Meritor, they're calling it Healthcare Worker Week. To incorporate everybody. But for us nurses, this is a national event for all nurses. And we were thinking we want to be recognized too. We want to be celebrated too. We thought we're just going to take it in our own hands and, you know, celebrate Nurses Week this year with our community through two events that we organized. One, May 6th, is in the Greenbush neighborhood. We organized a food truck to be located on Mount Street right by the hospital. And then we also organized a honor a nurse blood drive through the Red Cross, which will be staffed from the AFSME 1558 and 1205 nurses, who are, by the way, currently going through bargaining. And we, of course, are standing in solidarity with them on that. We do encourage pre-registration, by the way, due to COVID. Um, and also it'll save you some time. But it will be held at the Madison Labor Temple, 1602 South Park Street on May 9th from 2 to 10 and on May 10th from 1 to 530. Um, of course, drop-ins are welcome. 
to pre-register, folks can call 1-800-RED-CROSS. That is 1-800-733-2767 or go to redcrossblood.org and enter Meritor Nurses Week as our promo code and you will be directed and can schedule a slot to donate blood. We did those two things to recognize us as nurses in Nurses Week. We need to honor nurses. We need to make sure that nurses are acknowledged and that they get the respect. Nurses are there for their communities. It doesn't matter where you are. Nurses meet people at their worst, and then they do everything in their power to get them to be better again. We wear many different hats. We explain what the doctor really meant when they come in and talk to you and you don't understand because you may be in shock or something. We make sure that you understand treatment plans, medications. We help navigate through a person's own personal health to help them get better. And then, of course, we really went from zero to hero when the pandemic hit. We suffered through it just like the rest of the population. And on top of it all, we were there when no one else could be there. We lost many nurses to COVID. The disease, the burnout, the suicide that comes along with all of that. And then we held the hands of strangers and watched them die when families couldn't be there. There was that early part of the pandemic that was super hard on everybody. We need to advertise nursing, the work that we do, because we were in a shortage before the pandemic and we're even more in a shortage now. And we really need people in the field. That was labor radio reporter Keith Steffen talking to Enos Burrow, an ER nurse at Meritor Hospital in Madison. Union drives from Activision to Amazon have seized the tech sector in recent months. Now they have a new companion, Apple. We'll hear more about a store owned by the tech giant Apple and their intention to form a union. Apple retail workers at a store located in Atlanta, Georgia, have filed for a union election with the National Labor Relations Board. If certified, the workers would be represented by the Communication Workers of America, the same national union currently campaigning to represent 34 quality assurance workers at Raven Software in Middleton. It would also be Apple's first retail union and the most recent in a series of successful unionization efforts that have taken place at large conglomerates like Amazon and Starbucks over recent weeks. According to the union, over 70% of the store's 100 employees have signed authorization cards. The store in Atlanta is one of Apple's 270 brick and mortar locations across the country. Starting wages for Apple's retail employees is $20 an hour, which falls short of the $25.50 average in electronics retail stores nationwide, according to the Bureau of Labor Statistics. In a public statement, Derek Bowles, an Apple employee and union signatory at the Atlanta location, said, quote, Apple is a profoundly positive place to work, but we know the company can better live up to their ideals, and so we're excited to be joining together with our coworkers to bring Apple to the negotiating table and make this an even better place to work. Further north, Apple workers at the Grand Central Terminal retail location in New York City have also signaled that they want a union, announcing that they have started the process of gathering authorization cards. The organizing group responsible for the Grand Central Drive is an independent, worker-led collective that calls itself Fruit Stand Workers United. FSWU is seeking a $30 an hour minimum wage, improved retirement options, and increased 401k contributions by the company. The organization claims that wages were one of the central inspirations for a union. Writing in their mission statement, quote, year over year, the cost of living in New York City has not kept pace with our wages. 
Meanwhile, Apple has grown to be the most valuable company in the world. Why should its retail workers live precariously? Reporting for Labor Radio, I'm Sean Hagerup. Thanks for listening to Madison Labor Radio. I'm Bert Zipperer. Thanks to editors Frank Emspeck and Ellen LaLuzerne, assistant Robin G, reporters Greg Gaboski, Sean Hagrup, Anaham, Scott McCullough, Janine Ramsey, Tony Reeves, Carol Weidel, and Mike Bernard, and damage control specialist Joanne Powers. Thank you as well to the website editor J.J. Meyer. Special thanks to Keith Stephan, our reader coordinator, and to Annie Habel, our fabulous reader tonight, <laughs> as well as to all our readers, as well as the members of IBEW Local 2304 WORT Staff Collective. Thank you. And I'm Ian Habel. We'd also like to thank all the generous contributors to Labor Radio and WORT. Please stay tuned for Dave Watts and the Blues Cruise. And Bill. <laughs>